Welcome to Conversations Live. For more than a decade, we've brought you the best in books, entertainment, celebrity interviews, and current events. When the movers and shakers of the world have something to say to you, they say it to us first. Here's your host, Cyrus Webb. Welcome back, everyone, to Conversations Live. I'm your host, Cyrus Webb. Glad you all could join us once again. For our radio audience tuning in at WYAD 94.1 FM and WYADonline.com, we're glad that you all can be with us. Also, it's tuning in through our online affiliates around the world. We're glad you all could join us as well. I know at the time you guys are listening to us live, we are wrapping up what's been National Book Month. But there's another book that's coming out in November. You definitely want to make sure you add to your reading list. In fact, I want you guys to go ahead and pre-order it today as we're talking about it. The book is called The Return Trip. It's written by Maya Golden. We're going to talk to Maya not only about what it's like for her to be able to share her own journey in this book, but also, of course, to know the life she's going to be able to impact along the way. If you're just now finding out about the book, we will let you guys know how you can stay connected with Maya and, of course, remind you to go ahead and pre-order it for yourself. Maya, thank you again for the time today. really do appreciate you stopping by. Thanks so much for having me on, Cyrus. Look, this is something I've been looking forward to. When this book was first pitched to me, I was really intrigued by it because, my, you are the perfect example of what we hear when we, we hear the saying, don't judge a book by its cover. What has it been like for you to kind of look at where you are now in 2023 and how you kind of share the journey here on the return trip? That's a really great question. Um, my career has been spent a lot of time in front of the camera as a journalist. I've uh, been a sports reporter primarily, worked on the sidelines covering uh, Texas high school football, which you know the real Friday Night Lights is the big deal here in the state. And for a lot of people who watched me on camera, they didn't know the struggles that I had going on behind the scenes. And someone actually said to me at one point in time, you have such a charmed life. And I knew that I was a survivor of childhood sexual abuse, that I had an extensive trauma history from my childhood, that I was also battling addiction, alcoholism, and other unhealthy coping mechanisms like perfectionism, dissociative disorders, and burnout. I burnt myself out in my career because of that perfectionistic drive. So it was a mixed bag because there was this front-facing image of me that really wanted to do the absolute best in front of the camera and enjoyed the work that I was doing. But at the same time, I was struggling silently behind the camera. And it wasn't until I was able to seek help at a facility, which is part of the the book itself. It examines Mm -hmm. my stay at a facility called Shades of Hope here in Texas. And it was because of that that I was able to reach this point in my healing journey that I wanted to help others. And so I was able to write the return trip and talk about my experiences. And then out of that also create a nonprofit here in Texas, the One in Three Foundation, which provides counseling and support services for survivors of sexual trauma who don't have the resources or insurance doesn't cover uh, mental health care for them. And and Maya, thank you for sharing that. And I think the thing is, again, as you mentioned, people will look at you now and think you have it all together. They wouldn't think in May 2015 that you would be signing a paper that's saying that you wouldn't take your own life. I mean, let's just talk about that for yourself, right? I mean, again, looking at yourself in the mirror today, I mean, what was it like for you to revisit your own return trip into yourself and to kind of think about the things you have gone through and have overcome and how you got to where you are today. 
writing this book is honestly the hardest thing I've ever done. And I say that uh, even having survived the initial impacts of the, the trauma, but going back to revisit it was such a difficult task because you are going back to that place in your life and vivid description and you are reliving some of your lowest moments. And one of the things about memoir and writing memoir and, and creative nonfiction is no one is really all that eager, honestly, to say, hey, these are the worst things that have ever happened to me in my life. And these are the worst things that I subsequently did because of that. And I want to share that with the entire world. That's not something that you're necessarily always going to be eager about. There's still some shame. There's guilt that goes into that. And so it was actually very good for me to be able to revisit some of this and the aspect of it reminded me how far I have come. It reminded me that though the past still rears its ugly head from time to time that I can say to myself, you're not there anymore. You've worked through that. And I can see the progress. I can see where when I was at my lowest point, when I did have suicidal ideologies, that look to look at my life now and to see the grace of it and the beauty of it and to be able to share this story and hopefully inspire and encourage other survivors, but not just the survivors, but their family, friends, and loved ones who are watching them go through these experiences and maybe suffer and show behaviors that they don't understand, maybe this book can give them some insight to that as well. Yeah, I love that. And and my, I think, too, the other thing is a lot of times we – we 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 suffer in silence. I know myself. My radio audience here knows in Mississippi. My I'm a suicide attempt survivor myself, and so when I was reading this book, I thought about and you know as someone who also loved poetry. I'm going to mention something you wrote in the book about a poem here in a moment. But I think some many times there are those things that we hope people see, right? And I think for you it goes to another point and that is being seen. You talk about a poem you wrote in school called House of Sorrow. I want to actually read something you said about that poem and about where you were then and talk to you about what it was like for you to think about that girl and now to think about what that girl has been able to do. You say in the book, any teacher, administrator, parent, or even fellow student who read that poem might have given pause at the writer's intentions. I was afflicted with a silent inner plea for someone to know the truth about me and my childhood. I wanted someone for once to ask me if I was okay, to open the door for me to speak honestly without inhibitions. I remained the little girl in the car, wanting anyone around me, those who had their hands on the steering wheel, to see that I was hurting and got me to a new, happier course. I want to talk about that and what it was like for you to think about that little girl and to think about how you've been able now to help that girl yourself. Well, the the poem that is mentioned uh, when I was doing some research for this book and going through different time periods of my life, I came across that publication from my high school's literary magazine. And even reading it now, uh, as an adult and looking back, I was 15 at the time that I wrote that poem and just thinking, wow, nobody, nobody stopped to ask. And that's what came out on the page. But at the same time, I think very much so, and, and all of us who are survivors of childhood trauma, especially those who have complex PTSD, because of that, we just want to be seen and we want to be heard and we want to feel seen and heard. And that little girl from age of 15 or the age of five that's in the book, 
she still very much so wants a seat at the table in my life. And I have had to come to terms with allowing that to happen, to be able to say, what do I need today? And then sometimes to acknowledge what does she need today? Because that's a part of me when I was growing up that some of my needs were not fulfilled, such as being seen or being heard or feeling like it was okay to talk about what I was going through or the pain that I was feeling. I very much felt that I had to be performative, and I tried to fill that void with accolades and overachieving and good grades and all of those things that really didn't bring true validation. So there are days now where I feel this nagging internal voice saying to me, what's your motivation for doing this, or we don't want to do this, and I realize but sometimes it's that inner child in me still saying, you know, you need to rest. You need to take care of us. You need to take care of adult you. And I, I've, I've come to realize that that child was immensely wise because I learned so much from just looking back and writing about my experiences, about how fast I grew up. Um, right. And because of that, I, I, really, I really see the wisdom that I had as a, as a kid. Right, and that's something I think that all of us can relate to. I want to say for those who are just tuning in, either on the radio side or online, you're listening to Conversations Live. Maya Golden is our guest for this segment as we're wrapping up what is recognized as National Book Month. Maya is gearing up for a big event for her in November, that being the release of her memoir. It's called The Return Trip. We're talking about it today. You all can go ahead and pre-order it for yourself today and have it ready for you guys on November the 14th, the official release date uh, for those who are joining us. Uh, on the radio side of our broadcast, you'll find the link on our Facebook page. For those tuning in via the podcast, we have it in the notes for you guys. We're going to also let you guys know how to stay connected with Maya as well. Maya, we both uh, you know, grew up in what's called the Bible Belt. And I think one of the biggest revelations in the book is you kind of looked back and thought about blame, thought about fault, thought about what you wish you could say or what questions you would ask. I, I think probably one of the most profound parts of it is when you're in therapy and you're talking about who you blame the most. And the answer, I think for anyone who hasn't gone through any type of trauma, may be surprising, but for those of us who have, I think it is not. And that person for you was God. I want to talk about that. What was that like for you to, for one, to be able to admit that out loud, but also to be able to to deal with that for yourself? I really credit therapy and going to treatment facilities like Shades of Hope and working with a counselor to get to a point in my life where I could say that. Because as you mentioned, growing up in the South or growing up in the Bible Belt, I was raised Baptist. And basically, I was taught that you don't, you don't ever say anything against God. And that doesn't mean that it was a condemnation of my belief or my faith, but I very much felt because I had suffered through these horrible things as a kid, I wondered how God could allow that to happen because I was a child. And that's one of the great, I would say, the great discourse of my life has been reconciling that, but also coming to terms with the fact that I will never truly get an answer as to why this happened to me. And thankfully, in working with a counselor, I was able to vocalize and just say that I had anger at God because I had been told that I would be protected. I had been told if I went to church and I did these things and I was a good girl and 
all of the things that I was raised to believe that none of this was supposed to happen to me. And I think for anyone who has, as you said, been through trauma, especially people who feel that they're trying to just be good people from day to day, it's natural to question why do these things happen? Why do bad things happen to good people? But what we've been taught in a way through some religious forms is that we, we, we're not supposed to vocalize that. We're not supposed to ever say that. And for me, it was very freeing to be able to say that, to be able to put that on the page, but also to say it out loud and to come to terms with that and say, you know what, um, the counselor who worked with me was able to say, if you really believe that, that God exists and you believe in that higher power, then God can handle your anger. God can take it. And that was such, that, that freed me so immensely. And it, it took this big weight off of my shoulders because, again, I had been raised with that guilt and that shame that I shouldn't feel that way. I want to to go along with that, Maya, and again, I'm going to talk around some of this. I don't spoil it. But also in that same uh, passage of the book, you also are able to say something else, and I want to make sure we get this in there, and that is realizing that it was not your fault. I think so many people need who are survivors of any type of abuse or trauma need to hear that. How how much did that help you in the freeing process to know that what has happened to you was not because of you? I think I was able to mentally begin the shift of blaming myself because I was a child, so I internalized that there must be something inherently wrong with me that these things kept happening to me. There was a reason why it kept occurring. There was a, there was something wrong with me that this was a, a continued part of my life. And so when you're a child and you're forming your core beliefs and your belief system about the world and trying to process the world, you're, you don't have the mindset yet to be able to place blame where it needs to go sometimes. You don't have the right. intellect to be able to place it and say, no, this was not you. This was a person who should have known better, who does know better who harmed you. That is not your fault. But because I internalized that for so long and also suffered silently, um, in the book we examine the fact that my first incident of abuse happened at five. I didn't have my outcry, which is when someone who's been victimized tells someone about the abuse until I was 19. So for 14 years, this was a secret in my life, and I was processing that as a child to be able to say, well, it's you, it's something with you. So when I get to that point in the book and when I reach that point in my life where I was able to say, it's not my fault, it was the people who did this to me and be able to put the blame on them, it also it helps me do two things. One, it, it helps me to stop blaming that child because I really did. But then also it freed me from feeling the shame that, again, there was something that had to have been wrong with me or something that I was doing that was causing this. And shame needs silence to thrive. So the more I'm able to tell tell my story, either through writing or either through advocacy or sometimes writing things that, that aren't even shared, it's still very freeing for me and helpful for me to understand and for other survivors to understand, no, this was not our fault. I want to ask you this question, Maya, with all the success that you've been able to have and all that you've been able to do, writing this book, 
what has this been like for you to kind of look at the achievement that this is, and not just publishing this book, but also sharing this story and letting other people know that they're not alone in what they've experienced? I think I feel a tremendous amount of responsibility around this book. It's not, as you said, just a matter of the publishing journey, which is a very difficult journey. And I'm extremely thankful to Rising Action Publishing Collective for taking a chance on a a memoir like this that deals with such a heavy topic. But also, I was truly looking for a book like this myself when I decided to write it. I wanted something that was written by someone who had had my experience of enduring childhood sexual abuse and then developed these unhealthy coping mechanisms and was honest about it, was honest about what they went through and experienced, what they learned, the good, the bad, the ugly, but also put some levity in there because it's very much my personality. And so I felt that I wasn't just writing this as a healing journey for myself, but again, I kept thinking of who would pick this book up, a survivor, one of their loved ones, whether it's a colleague, a family member, a partner, or even a best friend to help them understand what what that person in their life is going through. So for me, I still feel that even though the book is, you know, pressed and bound and, and, and on its way to the stores, I still feel every time that I talk about this book that my duty is to other survivors. My responsibility is to other survivors and saying it wasn't your fault. It's going to be okay. No, you're not alone in the experiences that you've been through. Yes, this is extremely hard. Sometimes it's going to rear its head again, but we we can persevere and we can move forward with our lives. Such a great reminder for us all. Again, everyone, Maya Golden has been our guest. The book is The Return Trip, officially out November 14th. You can go ahead and pre-order it today for yourself. It's a really powerful read, Maya. Congratulations to you, not only on your success, but also on being able to share the journey with us and helping us to see how you were able to get back to you, you know, getting back to where you belong. So for our audience out there, how can they stay connected with you, Maya, and kind of keep up with what's going on around the release? Thanks so much. Uh, yes, you can follow me on social media. I'm on Instagram. Uh, it's good as golden is my Instagram account. And then also I'm on uh, Facebook at MGB Rights. Uh, you can find me on X at Maya underscore golden. And then my website is goodisgolden.com. I'll be posting about different upcoming book signings, events, and speaking engagements, and a few workshops that I have as well coming up on writing about complex PTSD, memoir, and creative nonfiction. All right. All right, Maya. I really enjoyed the chat with you and looking forward to our next time talking together. Thanks so much, Cyrus, and I appreciate the opportunity. And my pleasure. And we thank your audience for tuning in to another great segment of Conversations Live. Until next time, I'm your host, Cyrus Webster. As always, enjoy your day, enjoy your life, enjoy your world. Thank you all for choosing Conversations Live. Let us go make today amazing. Take care. <music>